Hello and a warm welcome to The Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and with me again today is the editor of Gold, Helena Beer. How are you doing, Helena? Thanks, Mark. I'm doing great. I'm definitely here for this glorious sunshine. Um, How about yourself? Yes, very well, thank you. And excited to be bringing our audience a highlights episode today to mark the finale of this season of The Gold Podcast. So after today, we'll be taking a couple of weeks off before we bring you an exciting new format with the same level of amazing guests plus more insights across a breadth of pharma topics and more. That's right. We'll have a short hiatus coming back on the 15th of February with our fabulous new format. So we're really looking forward to that. If you're subscribed, then you'll be the first to know. Uh, But back to this week's podcast, we're taking a look back at our gold medal moments from the past 12 months, revisiting those inspiring interviews that have really stuck with us. So to kick off with one of my favourite podcasts, we have Jose Maria Guido Avila, or as his friends call him, Chema. He is Global Lead of HCP Marketing at Sanofi. Jose spoke with our colleague Dan Healy about how he thinks the industry should move forwards to reclaim medical narratives from misinformation. It goes back to our to our DNA as an industry, because uh, ever since I have been joining this industry uh, back in 20, 2004, uh, everything I have seen is a, a trend towards becoming more, let's say, conservative. And the compliance rules, are, compliance rules are always tighter. So if we really wanted to reclaim the healthcare narratives, or if we really wanted to drive these conversations, we need to really work together with our compliance rules and, and and be a little bit more flexible. Sometimes we are, even even those compliance rules are, uh, and maybe this is a very bold statement from my side, <laughs> but uh, sometimes these compliance rules are even uh, for, uh, preventing us from driving those conversations. Um, to give you to give you one example, when I was, uh, when I started in this whole, uh, transformation towards a more digital marketeer that I wanted to become. Uh, I did some research on my own for my master dissertation. And um, and I was interviewing uh, both HCPs and patients. And I was asking them the same question. And the, the HCPs were complaining because the patients would arrive to their uh, consultation already with a lot of misinformation uh, coming from digital uh, channels, right? Dr. Google. But then if, if you if you saw the patients, if you ask them in the question, it was, where do you go first to when you have, uh, when you start, when you start becoming sick uh, or you have symptoms about the flu or anything uh, related to health? And they, the first step, I, th- I remember 70% of them were going to Dr. Google. So, and in between is the pharma industry. And, and we, if you try to do a campaign to educate educate patients, you really have to undergo a lot of, um, not barriers, but I would say bureaucracy and compliance rules that you really have to comply to be able to, to drive a narrative like that. And so in the end, patients are accessing misinformation. The pharma industry is not capable of doing anything. And the doctors are complaining because they are thinking that this misconception is driven by the pharma industry. Um, so if we really want to, to, to change this would be change those processes, work really close with our compliance uh, teams to have an open mind for being able to drive this discussion. 
the second one would be um, probably in, in probably another revolutionary idea here or very bold statement. It's the pharma industry has been working with the big uh, the the big uh, tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Netflix in the past years. But every time you see an announcement of, for example, Sanofi collaboration with uh, I don't know Google to identify uh, diabetes symptoms earlier or to drive better diagnosis, or Novartis collaborating with quantum computing uh, companies to either to improve uh, treatments uh, for different diseases. It's all about treatment and it's all about new therapies, right? But there is no partnership or collaboration, at least to my knowledge, to fight fake news. What if we, as an industry, worked with Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Netflix and say, let's, let's do a partnership to, to be in the front line and, say, and identify those fake news and be able to provide the right information for both HCPs and patients, right? And then uh, uh, be able to take our transparency to the next level, right? But um, I'm not sure this is very too bold, <laughs> but in my opinion, this is something that we should be thinking about. I couldn't agree more with what Jose says there, and I'm certainly excited to see how misinformation will continue to be combated in the year to come. Now, as a sports fan, one podcast that I found particularly interesting to listen to was when Sir Clive Woodward, former England rugby coach and former director of sport for Team GB, came on the show to chat with our chairman, Spencer Gore. As a World Cup winning coach, Sir Clive offered his insights into thinking correctly under pressure, or teacup thinking, a preparation method that can enable businesses or sports teams to deal with whatever might be thrown at them. This saying teacup um, came from a guy called Yudar Shanir, um, who was this kind of uh, amazing guy from Israel. You know, I, I met him by luck. He, he was an ex um, um, member of the Israeli Armed Forces, he's a pilot. Yeah. He moved into this area of, of, of how you think under pressure. And I heard about him and me, me being the, you know, prime myself and being a sponge. Next week on a, I'm on a plane to Tel Aviv. I've never met this guy in my life before, but I just flew straight out to see him when I heard about this. And he was awesome. This guy is just big time. Um, you know, and you can imagine when you think about pressure, if you're part of the, the Israeli armed forces, you, you know, these guys are, you know, absolutely at the top of their game. You know what I'm saying? So, but he, he started talking about this concept called um, seat up, which was correctly thinking under pressure. Right. So he's going through all this with me. And I just shifted the words around a bit. Yeah. So actually, you could make it teacup, which is a very English word. He looked at me horrified. <laughs> you can't call my seat up philosophy teacup. Yeah. Go, Look, okay, you, you can. You can. He said, no, it's got to be correctly thinking under pressure. I said, no, no, thinking correctly under pressure. Teacup is a great thing. So we and we had a real laugh about that. So I, I got it all from him. And that, that's, you know, and, and he was just, just went through the, the Israeli armed forces. How yeah. much, how much, store they put on you know this training of how you think correctly under pressure or how you correctly think under pressure and the keyword is is correctly and, and basically what, you, what you're trying to do is what, what he what he proved was if, if you can kind of you know kind of plan for situations your scenarios and you plan for what's going to happen if it then happens in the real life you know there's a very high chance you'll then think correctly under pressure 
yeah. if you've not planned for this or thought about what would I do if this was to happen, um, there's a very high chance you won't think correctly under pressure. So to answer your question, I don't think you can ever get overloaded by this. What, what you can't do is, is, is you've got to just go softly, softly. So if you go through these scenarios of, of your business or your sports team, just just kind of do one a week, one, 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 one every couple of weeks, and what would we do, what would we do? And you start to document and keep this stuff. And eventually you'll find over a year, you've got a whole library of yeah. situations where you're saying, right, if this was to happen in the future, we know we know what to do. We've, we've handled it. And then if something happens that you've not thought about, what would I do? Um, he, he proves that because your mind's used to thinking this way, there's a chance you'll still make the, a better decision because you're used to thinking correctly under pressure. In other words, you're used to kind of anticipating the future. And when you think about, you know, he's, he's very, very clear. I, I've learned this not from him, but also from I, I, I did a lot of work with the Royal Marines. You know, they, and, 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 you, and you'd have backed this up totally. He said, you know, yeah. w- war especially is just a series of cock-ups. It never happens the way it's supposed to. Yeah, you can have Plan A and Plan B, but you know, unfortunately, the the bad guys are there to actually disrupt Plan A and Plan B. So it's how you react to pressure situations that allow you to survive and win, and how you train for that. And I saw that with the Royal Marines. I saw that with Yudar Shinir when I went to Tel Aviv to meet meet with him. And it's it's you know, and when you think of the you know the Royal Marines, Spencer, the the average age of a Royal Marine officer who were, you know, one of the best fighting forces in the world, uh, is just over 21 years old. Yeah. So it's not about getting experience. You can learn this stuff in the, in the, in the classroom, on the, on the training fields, because, you know, the average age is 21 years old. These are guys who are going in to, to, to war for us, to, to keep us safe. And, you know, but it's all about training and trying to predict what's going to happen in, in these situations. And that is so important in business and, and, and sport. So, you know, we spend a huge amount of time on this in terms of the, the rugby team, especially in trying to just talk through in classroom situations. What would we do if this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens? And what, what the Marines taught us really clearly, and again, the players are awesome at picking this up. They say, look, when you cross that line at Twickenham or in Australia at the World Cup final, when you cross that line, it's nil-nil. The only thing that matters is in 18 minutes time, when you come off that field, you've got more points than them. Yeah, you've got to do anything humanly possible within the laws of the game to make to make that happen. And it's a very powerful message because we get so hung up with all this stuff. But anything happens during the game, you've got to act, act better than the opposition. You've got to think better, correctly under pressure than any, any anybody else. The World Cup final is a great example. We we didn't play that well in the World Cup final in terms of you know the, the kind of the the, the the standards we set ourselves, but we handled all the pressure situations really really well. Especially yeah. the last the last minute when we needed mm. three points to win, we knew exactly what was going on, um, and and the team handled the whole pretty situation. And at the end of the day, we we walked off the pitch with more points than them. Yeah, you know, and that's all all anyone remembers. That's certainly a method of thinking that I'll be trying to take forward in the future. And it's great to see how we can all learn from other sectors and relate it to our own day to day. Um, so moving back to pharma, Mark, you spoke to Emily Pegg, Head of Medical Affairs at Takeda back in April in an episode that I found incredibly engaging. Um, in that conversation, she discussed how she believes the role of medical affairs will change as we move beyond COVID-19 and the need for greater commerciality within the field as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of discussion around around this, and there has been for some years. We've seen 
we're seeing an evolution in the model from the more traditional sales model, sort of very much supported by medical affairs, but not really led by medical affairs. Um, and I think we are moving in a direction which is for some of the reasons we've already discussed, which is maybe more where medical affairs is taking more of a leadership function. And I really hope that we we continue to see that. I mean, I, I myself aim to transition as part of my development plan into commercial roles in the future. Um, and my perception is that there's a lot more medical um, associates, so people with some sort of medical background, whether that be a medical degree, having worked in a medical function, maybe a farm pharmacist, um, moving into more senior management and commercial roles. And when you see that transition happening, there's a much greater appreciation of what medical affairs offers and the value it brings. So I think companies are seeing that actually having people who have done different types of roles within the industry is actually really valuable. And I do feel that will help us move towards a model which is probably much more led by a medical function, although there will always be a place for commercial functions. And I, I'm always the first to say to my team, if there's any reticence about anything that the commercial team is doing that actually you know we we need the commercial side of the business we we need to be you know we need to be developing the drugs and and making them safe but we also need to be selling them to be able to fund the next round of innovation and research so every role is incredibly important it's just the balance of of which part of the company um you know is maybe has the leadership kind of element which I think is important and I definitely see medical affairs taking more of a leadership role in the future. It was really great to have a chat with Emily there. So Pharma's relationship with HCPs is evolving in an incredibly interesting way and I'm looking forward to seeing just how the role changes further in the year to come. Moving on, another guest I had the privilege of speaking to was Claire Haig, Senior Director, Haematology Market Access, Europe, the Middle East and Africa at Janssen. I spoke with Claire about developing alternative pricing systems for low and middle income countries and the need for outcomes based pricing agreements. I think that there's lots of things that could be done in the low to middle income countries. Um, one of the things I think is would be um, introducing innovative payment models um, for new treatments, such as outcomes-based schemes, where payers only pay for the outcomes that they see coming from new therapies, and also financial-based agreements, such as you know what we refer to as, as managed entry agreements. So these kind of outcomes-based and managed entry agreements are, are really good mechanisms that can enable this much-needed shift towards value-based healthcare in these low to middle um, income countries. I think um, the thing that's important is that outcomes-based and managed entry type agreements reward outcomes. They incentivize innovation and provide healthcare systems with a sustainable way of enabling access. So I think that many payers are worried that if they invest in high cost treatments and perhaps they don't work as well in the real world, that they will have lost money that they can't use elsewhere. And I think these types of agreements really help alleviate and manage that risk that we're talking about. Um, the other thing um, as well, as I think about outcomes-based schemes and, and also schemes that spread payments of new treatments over time, they're also very effective, these kind of spread payment models for 
new treatments such as CAR T therapies that we're working on at the moment where there's a one-off treatment um, and sometimes that can incur a one-off cost. But we're looking at ways in which we can spread payments over time um, and, and help spread, as I said, that kind of upfront burden that might be occurring. The other thing is around, it's not just the, the notion of introducing these outcomes-based schemes. You need to have the right infrastructure to capture data to enable their effective use. So in order to do that, we need to ensure that we're investing in the appropriate real-world evidence um, infrastructure. So collecting data in the real world is going to be really important. And so I think that in these types of countries, not just the low income and the medium income, but the high income, this continued investment in data infrastructure and capturing data from patients and seeing how we can leverage that um, to support these kind of outcome schemes is going to be really critical. Um, essentially, there's not a one size fits all approach to pricing in different countries. I think one of the things that's important is that we do have pricing models that suit the local market. Um, but the important thing is as well is that early dialogue between manufacturers and payers um, upfront to, to, to basically see how we can accelerate access to patients in these countries. Really, um, and that's so important because we're seeing such a wide variation in time to access across Europe. We really want to try and reduce that variation. Some great points there. So thank you to Claire. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Mark, it's been a pleasure reminiscing with you on the past year, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what conversations we're going to be having on the podcast over the next 12 months. Well, I can certainly say for sure that we're going to continue to have some amazing discussions with industry leaders in our next season of the Gold Podcast. So as we've mentioned, we're going to be taking a little break over the next two weeks as we prepare to launch season two. However, in the meantime, we're regularly updating the Gold website with news you might have missed and all kinds of other content. So head over to www.emg-gold.com for more. That's right. And everyone can still get their weekly gold fix by signing up to our newly launched newsletter. The link to sign up, if you're not already, is in the show notes. And make sure you're subscribed to the gold podcast so you don't miss out on the launch of the new season. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be back on the 15th of February. Take care and it's goodbye from us for now. Mm-hmm.